Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Let's just jump right into what we're doing. We are wrapping up the series called The Ghost, and I'm going to jump right into Scripture today. i got a lot to give you, uh, and we are in Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can. But we've also got them up on the screen, the, the verses up on the screen as well. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this passage, let me tell you who this is, and we can, we can break it down for you, all right? The disciples, Jesus' followers of the day, were up in what they called the upper room. They were all together. Jesus said, hey, I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm, I'm, when I leave, I want you to all go back to the city, and I want you guys to hang out and wait. Wait on what? Well, we'll talk about that here in a minute. So he told them to all go down do that, and that's exactly what they were doing. They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's Acts 2, 1 through 4. So here's what's happening. They're hanging out in in what's known as the upper room, and the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised would come, shows up on the scene and he fills all of them. That's what we talked about in the first week. We talked about that Jesus said, hey, look, I've got to go. It's best for you if I go. In John 14, he says, I got to go. Jesus had already come. He lived his life. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. He said, I've got to go because if I don't go, I can't send you the paraclete. What's the paraclete? Well, that's that's the Greek word that means the comforter, the counselor, the guider, the guy who, the intercessor who would come. That's the Holy Spirit. He said, if I go, then I can send you the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to go and I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, that he will come with power. He will fill you with power is what Jesus said. Power for what? Well, we looked at week two in this series. We looked at what power that was. Power to boldly share Christ. We have power to have strength when we are weak personally. Power to have hope in a hopeless situation and power to know the fullness of God. That was in week two. And then in week three, we talked about how that power continued and it gave us gifts. Gifts of prophecy, gifts of leadership, gifts of service, gifts of generosity, We looked at the different gifts straight across the board that the Holy Spirit gives every single one of us as believers to use in the church and use to be a blessing to the world outside of the church. And then we also took a look at what the fruit of the Spirit was. The fruits we understand are not the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit is the product of the Spirit's work in your life. In other words, he's taking you through a process and you've come out the other side saying yes to where he's leading you and how he's leading you and you produce Fruit. And those fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you get it? Did you guys write it, write it down? And so that's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. And so uh, that, that work that is inside of us produces that fruit and, and produces that work, okay? And so the believers on this day were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that they were filled with. And then this is where the story gets tricky, okay? Because it says, then they spoke in tongues. Now, this is where so many different churches kind of begin to argue and begin to debate. It becomes very controversial at this moment because 
every different denomination or different church organization believes something a little differently. In fact, even represented in this room, we all may feel a little differently about what tongues were. But here's what we, what we know about them is that the tongues were either unknown. In other words, they were speaking in a language that was unknown to us. Some, of us, some people call it a heavenly language, that it's a language that only God understands, or that it was simply unknown to the speaker. In other words, I don't speak Portuguese. I don't. I don't. But in this, if that were the case, then I would be able to speak Portuguese by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that would be tongues. And that's what some people believe that tongues are. Either way, the disciples were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. Whether it was a known tongue or unknown, it was unknown to them, the speaker, on that day. Now, what do I believe? Well, I believe it was something that, was, that is unknown to any of us. I believe it was a prayer language. Why do I think that? Well, because it's a language that only God understands, that no human understands. Because, because the people that were there that day accused the disciples of being drunk. Now, anybody ever been around a drunk person? And what are they doing? They are slurring their words, they are unintelligible, and you're like, these guys are legit drunk, right? This is just what I believe. The fact of the matter is, is this does not determine your eternal destiny, so let's not get hung up on it, okay? This is just what I personally believe, right? Besides that, the Bible says that they were speaking in tongues and that everybody there in the city that day heard in their own language. Do you understand that there wasn't somebody that stood up next to Peter and said, well, this is what he just said. The Bible says they heard in their own language. And we understand that there could have been hundreds of different languages represented that day because the city was a metropolis for trade. And the Jewish people from all over the world would come there to trade and do business and to visit their Mecca, their home. And this is where the disciples are standing. And it says that day that thousands of people converted to Christ because of the miracle of speaking in tongues and the interpretation, meaning they heard in their own language. Everybody understand? So that, that's the, the thing of tongues. And of course, the big controversy and the reason so many people are like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about tongues. This is why I gave you a warning last week. So you had all week to be mad at me. And yet you still came back to hear what I had to say about it. I thank you for that. But there's such, such extreme controversy on the issue of tongues because on the one side, there's this pendulum swing, right? On the one side, I get asked all the time, is your church a spirit-filled church? Well, yeah, it is. Every believer is spirit-filled. Oh, so everybody there speaks in tongues? Well, no. No, because that's the question that they're asking. I have to go, what, do, what do you mean by that? So everybody speaks in tongues at your church? You guys wave flags and dance around and all yell in tongues during the service? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what we do, but we're spirit-filled. Right? So there's this pendulum swing of people that believe that in order to be spirit-filled, you have to speak in tongues. And they, they do it. And during their, when they come together in their church services, they speak in tongues and they, they do this thing. And then, of course, people find that to be on the other side of the pendulum. There's people who say, tongues, that's a little weird because those guys that speak in tongues, they act a little weird, right? They, they, do a little, they do weird things that we don't understand. And so they swing to the other side of the pendulum. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to talk about it. And they even go, could it be Satan? <laughs> they believe that tongues are demonic, which it's, it's, it's in the Bible that it's from the Holy Spirit. I don't even understand where you go down the path to get to that place. I, I don't get it. And yes, so you can see that this is extremely controversial, But on this other side of the pendulum where they believe that if you are spirit-filled, you speak in tongues, they believe that if you don't speak in tongues, that you are a second-rate, second-class Christian. Some of them even believe that you won't go to heaven because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will take you to heaven, that he's the one that seals you and draws you to heaven. So they're like, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled, and then therefore you won't go to heaven. I grew up this way. 
I grew up believing that if when I turned to age 12, because that's the age of accountability, where you know between right and wrong, this is what I was taught, okay, I'm not preaching this, I'm telling you this is what I was taught, that at that age, when I knew right from wrong, that at that moment, if I died, even though I had committed my life to Christ, been baptized, going to church, involved, following Jesus as best as a 12-year-old could, that if I died, I would not go to heaven. I was afraid. I was afraid. And as a little kid, I still remember standing there in service after I turned 12, and I tugged on my mom's dress because it was all the way down to the ground. I was a little low then. And that's because that's the church we went to. They wore long dresses and big buns. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. That's cool. Anyway, so <laughs> I tug on my mom's dress, and I'm like, hey, I, I said, I, I want to I I speak in tongues. I don't want to go to hell. And I was scared. And so I, she said, okay. I said, but do I have to be weird like all those people? And she says, no, you don't have to be weird. I said, okay. And so I raised my little hand when they had prayer requests, and I said, yes, I would like the gift of speaking in tongues. And so that shut down the whole service that day. It was nuts. (laughs) It was nuts. But we pushed back on on this whole thing because we don't understand it. So hopefully we're going to gain an understanding of it today. We'll understand the proper context for it. We'll understand what it is, what it's all about. And, uh, but by the way, you can go to heaven without speaking in tongues. Because the Bible says that it's a gift given to some, by the way. You understand that, right? It's a gift given to some. All right. How many of you guys, let me just, just kind of make everybody, everybody at ease so you kind of know where everybody is in, in this room. How many of you went to a church or have experienced a church where they spoke in tongues when you were there at the service? Hands up. Okay, so that's a good bit of you. All right, how many of you guys have uh, been in those churches, and this can be you again, if you raised your hand the first time, you'd say, that was a little bit weird to me. All right, all right, cool. How many of you guys would say, Aaron, I'm not going to raise my hand or say a thing until I hear what you have to say about tongues? There's a few of you. <laughs> All right, all right, awesome. First, appreciate the honesty. There's so much controversy about this that I think the, the best thing we can do when we're talking about this issue is to go to the scriptures to see what it says. So let's, let's take a look. What do we know about tongues? The very first thing we know about tongues is that when someone speaks in tongues publicly, in a public gathering like this, that there must be or should be an interpretation, whether it's a prayer language or a heavenly prayer language, whatever you want to call it, or whether they are speaking in an unknown tongue to them, either way, if somebody were to stand up and to do this thing, do the C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A, right? Anybody ever heard that before? Somebody said they heard that in a church one time, and the guy says, anybody got an interpretation? And he goes, C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A, that's Coca-Cola. The Holy Spirit is the real thing. Oh, come on, lighten up. Lighten up. Some people are like, he's doing it right now. He's doing it. But whatever that, that, the, the praying in tongues sounds like, whatever you believe it sounds like, that when somebody were to do it, there needs to be an interpretation. Somebody, there must be somebody who either interprets and hears it to understand it and shares it, with the group, it must be done that way. In 1 Corinthians 14, this is where it says, it says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time. So not only does God say, hey, there needs to be an interpretation, but there must be order to this thing. God's a God of order and not a God of chaos. So when you, when you go to a service and there's so many people speaking in tongues, there's, there's no order to that. It's, it's, it's nothing but chaos and confusion. He says there should one at a time and someone must interpret. Now that word must is very important. It doesn't say they should. It doesn't say they can. It says they must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church 
and speak to himself and to God. Why? Because without interpretation, there's no understanding of the tongue. Besides that, it'll freak people out. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 23. He says, so that the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Will they not say, what in the world was that? That's weird. That's that pendulum swing. We don't want anything to do with that. <clears throat> if that's what the spirit-filled life is, I don't want to be weird. And if, since this is all weird to me, and they associate Jesus with weird, they will have nothing to do with him, which to me is, is sad. So there must be a terp- an interpretation. The second thing we know from Scripture is that speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not the church. It strengthens the person speaking, not the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 5, says a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Paul says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Look, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. Why is he writing this letter? Because he's aware that they are arguing and fighting about the subject. He's aware that they are using the gift of tongues wrong. Has anybody ever given a gift to a child, like a baby, like an infant? And, you know, you're supposed to, like, put the rings on the stick, and what does that kid do? Takes the stick and just starts beating people with it. You know what I'm saying? And beating all this stuff. It's like, dude, you're playing with it wrong. Well, so many of us Christians are using the gift that God gave us wrong. We're not playing with it right. I'm not saying that it's something to be toyed with. Don't misunderstand me. You understand what I'm saying, though, right? So Paul's talking to them because they're fighting about the gifts. When they come together, their services are nothing but confusion. There's no order to them. And this gift that God gave them is running rampant in the church, causing confusion, a lack of unity, and problems. So Paul is speaking to them. And it's so funny to me that 2,000 years later, we still have so much divisiveness over the same exact topic. And it's right there in your Bible. It's right there. What's even more funny to me is that Paul is talking about gifts in Corinthians 12, and he's talking about gifts in Corinthians 14. Do you know what's sandwiched between those two books or those two chapters? Corinthians 13. Anybody ever been to a wedding? What do they read at every wedding? Corinthians 13. Why? Because it's the subject on love. Why does it exist between those two? Because Paul's writing to a church who is more concerned about the gifts of the Spirit than they are the giver of the gifts. They've lost the focus. They've lost the heart of the giver. And so they're using this gift and abusing each other with it. He's like, hey, guys. Hello. You can speak in tongues and you can prophesy. You can do all these things. But if you don't have love, which is a fruit, which is the working of the Holy Spirit in you, which is you yielding to how he's leading you. It's you yielding to his direction in your life. If you don't have fruit, if you don't have love, then guess what? All this tongues and the prophecies that you're giving, the word of encouragements that you're offering, guess what? It's nothing but a tinkling cymbal and a clanging gong. You're just making noise if you don't have love. And so Paul is rebuking them like, guys, you need to focus on the giver of the gift because the giver of the gift came here to impact a world, not to show how powerful he was. He came here to show his love for us. 
Paul speaks further on the matter to the Corinthians. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So this lets you know where, where I stand. This is a valid gift for us today. The Apostle Paul spoke in tongues. I believe that it's, it's valid. If the Holy Spirit gives you the gift, then use it wisely. Use it within the context that he's given. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, in the church, here, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. Why? Because when you speak in a tongue that nobody understands, nobody benefits from that. Nobody understands it. If there's no interpretation, nobody gets anything from that. The only person that's blessed is you. And is that God's intent? No. He gave you the gifts to build up the church. And so he says, man, I'd rather say five intelligible things. What are those five things? Uh, hey, man, Jesus loves you. There you go, five intelligible things. Right? That's better to say in this congregation, in this group of people, because you understand it. Man, Jesus loves me. Then 10,000 things in tongues. So Paul is letting him know, hey, this is valid. This is good. But let's do something that builds us up instead of something that tears us down. Why don't you see, you say, Aaron, if you really believe that this is a valid gift, why don't we see it here? Well, because we don't put the gifts on display. We put the giver of the gifts on display here. We pray for people. We pray for people in the back of the room because the temptation is so great. It's so great for pastors and leaders of churches and churches in general to put that gift on display and say, oh, man, come to our church. People are falling down. We're bopping people on the head. We got all kinds of gifts happening over here. Gifts are on display, but not a single one of them love each other. Not a single one of them would do anything to lift a finger to bless them or to help them in their time of need. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just having church up here all by myself. That's all right. That's all right. Thank you. I, I had somebody, somebody leave our church once because they said, well, I want to pray in tongues for people. And I said, that's fantastic. You pray in tongues until somebody comes up to you. And then you pray with them so that they understand you. And then when they walk away, you can pray in tongues again. What? That's preposterous. I'm like, did you read your Bible? It's kind of in there that way. It's kind, it's kind of very plain. I want people to understand. The question most people ask in this, in, in this environment, and especially when it comes to being spirit-filled, they ask, do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? The answer is no. The answer is no. Nope, nope, nope. People that are filled with the Spirit have evidence of being filled with the Spirit. The best evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not the tongue, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Because see, tongues is a gift, it's something that is given to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is the, is the proof of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That you are under his influence, under his control, under his power, under his authority. That you have said yes to a series of things that has led you to produce patience, joy all these things in your life. This is a greater evidence. So when people interact with you and they see the way that you live your life and they say, man, this must be what it's like to, to be with Jesus because of the fruit of the spirit that is on display in your life, not because you speak in tongues. And they look at you and go, man, that's something I want to be. We, that's something I want. We call that around here, we call it the shiny. Being the shiny, you shine your light so people can see and they're drawn to God by the fruits. Yes, these gifts are powerful. And yes, these gifts are used to build up the church. 
you want to draw people to Jesus, the giver of said gifts, not to the gifts themselves. I was sitting with a, a pastor a few weeks ago. I won't tell you who he is or where he's from. But I was sitting with this guy, and he was talking about his church, and he was talking about the line them up and bop them on the heads and all the spiritual gifts that were on display at his church. And yet out of the same breath and in the same conversation, he's telling me how his church is dying. And he's talking about this to me over lunch. I'm like, what in the world is going on? If the Spirit of God is there and the gifts of the Spirit are prevalent. And then I was like, oh, I suddenly understood because of the way he was so disrespectful to his waitress. It's so disrespectful to his wife. And I said, oh, I see what's happening here. You value the gift more than the fruit. People will see the fruit and be drawn to that. So for the rest of our time today, if you don't have to be filled with this, or you, if you don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit, what does it look like to live a Spirit-filled life? Well, let me tell you. First thing in, is uh, in Galatians 5.16. This is Paul writing again. He's writing to a different church on the same subject. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Basically what he's saying is, is for you that are Christians, those that are Christ followers, you are following after how Jesus lived his life, the Holy Spirit is inside of you because when you become a Christian, you are filled with the Spirit at that moment. Sometimes we call it or refer to it as being born again. You are transformed. You are made brand new. Your sins are washed away. You have become what the Bible calls a new creature the moment that you accept Christ. This happens in your life. You are transformed. And when you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, that's the moment that he fills you. It's the moment that you confess Christ as Lord of your life. However, some of you as you walk this journey and following Jesus... You will look at other people in your world and you kind of look at them and go, man, they seem to have a little more power than me. They seem to live a life of greater faith, a life of greater victory, a life where they overcome sin easier in their life. They, 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 the difficulties that they face, they have more hope, they have more peace, they have this strength and I don't quite understand it. Why do they have more than me? I'm a Christ follower as well. Well, it's plain and simple. I said it before, it is that they have more power than you. What they've done is they've yielded themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. What does that mean? When he leads you to do something, you do it. When he says say something, say it. When he says don't say that, you don't say it. When he says go here, you do this. Tells you to give money to somebody, do it. Follow him. It's a journey of saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And those people that say yes to him, that follow him, that yield their will, their desire, what they want to his and prefer him, have that power at work in their life. And you see the fruit of the Spirit as a result of it. Because see, the scripture says that our flesh, we want what we want, don't we? We want to say this because we deserve to be able to say that. They did this and so they get that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to go here and this is how I'm going to, don't you tell me what I'm going to do. We've got all these rights. And yet a life that is yielded to the Holy Spirit is one that says, my rights are out the window, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do whatever it is you tell me to do. Holy Spirit oftentimes will lead us to the right thing, but our flesh will say something contrary. And we've got to follow after him. So if you see someone with more power, 
It's because they're more yielded to the Holy Spirit. The great news is that you can become more yielded too. Just start saying yes. If you don't know that you've heard the Holy Spirit's voice, ask him. Hey, I'm not even sure that I've heard your voice. Would you speak to me? Would you start speaking to my heart and lead me, guide me, let me know what your voice sounds like? Here's what Paul said about it. He said, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that there would be this comparison, this contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit? If we flash back to the verse that I read at the beginning of the service today, what did the people, the Jewish, God-fearing Jewish people of the city believe was going on with the disciples? They thought they were drunk. They thought they were drunk. And here Paul is making that comparison. Hey, don't be drunk with wine. It's going to ruin your life. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason he says this is because when you are drunk, you are under the influence. Isn't that what it's called? DUI, driving under the influence. You're driving underneath the influence of a substance. Something else is controlling you. You're under the power of, under the influence, controlled by something else. So here's what happens. When you're under the influence of alcohol, what happens to us? We think different. Right? We talk different. And we act different. We're under the influence of alcohol. Paul knows this, so he's saying, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, what do we do? Well, we think different. We talk different. And we act different different. The fruit of the Spirit is on display in our life. We are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So we have to live by the Spirit, and you'll be under the same Spirit, or under the influence of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He says, don't be drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, why do people drink alcohol? To get drunk, right? That's why we, that's why we, we drink alcoholic beverages. We drink them to get drunk. Now, some of you are going to push back and go, well, I like the taste. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I don't think I've met a single person who on their first taste of tequila, and I don't say this from experience. I just read it in a book somewhere, um, <laughs> who would say, man, they drink that tequila and go, mm, that was so good. Let me have more of that. No, what do they do? They go, oh, After that first taste of tequila, even your first taste of beer probably wasn't that great. But the more you drink something, the more you acquire a taste for it. So I'll give it to you if you say you like the taste of it now. You've got an acquired taste. Some would argue that you could acquire a taste for urine if you drank enough of it, right? But you know why people aren't walking around buying six packs of urine? Because it doesn't get you drunk. Just saying. So why do people get drunk? Well, because when they're drunk, man, you know, it's Friday night. You've had a tough work, work week, and you can't wait to get out to the bar with your friends or maybe even get home and just crack a cold one on your own. Why? Because the week has been stressful. You want to decompress. 
you need some comfort. And so we get drunk to find comfort because when we get drunk, we forget about our worries, we forget about our cares. We lose sight of the stuff that's waiting for us the next morning that we now must face with a hangover. We find comfort in our alcohol and, and consuming it. What else do we find? We find confidence. There are things that you would never attempt in your life unless you had a drink. Famous last words for every guy that's in a hospital, hold my beer. <laughs> right? Hold this. I'm going to go do something stupid. We gain confidence. You see a guy drinking in a bar and he sees a pretty girl looking at him. And he thinks she's looking at him and flirting with him. She's not, but he thinks she is, and so he's going to go for it. Hey, man, watch this. You have the confidence to do things that you wouldn't normally do. It's interesting how a substance like this is trying to be a counterfeit for what the Holy Spirit promises in our life, for what he says he would give us, comfort, Man, in the middle of whatever it is that you're facing. You know, I read this this week. And this is power. It's not in my notes. This is just for free. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers, but he always gives promises. Always gives promises. We pray for certain things because we think we need them. And sometimes he doesn't answer those prayers, but he always gives us his promises. And we can find comfort in those promises. We can find peace that passes all understanding. Nobody will even understand why in the middle of the storms of our life, we're okay. We're, we're okay. But that's what alcohol tries to give you is that comfort. Alcohol will give you the confidence, but it's amazing. Alcohol gives you the confidence to do what you couldn't normally do, but the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to do what you could not do, and he does that by giving you gifts. It gives you the ability to do these things. It's a counterfeit that the world is offering. And it's those same gifts that every believer gets to serve the church and make a difference that he gives you that power to do what you could not do. I believe that when you experience the Holy Spirit, when you experience his presence, when you are filled with him, there's nothing you won't do to get another taste. When you truly understand what yielding to him is like, you'll be like a guy who's a, a, a drunk who's looking for his next taste. You will figure out how to do it. You will crave being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He will give you the power to live a supernatural life in a very natural world. Now, there are lots of arguments about being filled with the Spirit. Some believers believe there are two fillings. There's this one that you get filled whenever you first say yes to Jesus. And then they think there's this baptism or another, a second filling where gifts are given to you. But let me tell you something. It, it, it doesn't matter what you believe in this area because if there's two fillings, there's three. There's four, there's five, six, there's thousands of fillings of the Holy Spirit. Why would you say that, Aaron? Well, because he says, be filled with the Spirit. This is Paul saying, be filled with the Spirit. If you understand grammar rules, this word filled is a present progressive word. What does that mean? It means be filled now and be filled later. It means be filled now and then keep on getting filled. Keep on dipping your cup in and taking a drink. Keep on being filled by the Spirit. And when you do, when you remain filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you will produce fruit in your life. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you could use some of that? I know I could use some more of that. We have to be filled continually by the Holy Spirit. It's a continual, ongoing work of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that causes us to be what's called sanctified. If you know what that word means, it means cleaned up. When we say yes to Christ, we are being, we are sanctified right there in that moment, but we still live this life. As Christ followers, we still sin, all of us. And as a result, we must be cleaned up again. So there's a process called sanctification. We are continually being sanctified as we walk this earth. So we confess our sins, we repent from it. Some of us are in sin and we don't even realize it. The Holy Spirit will put his finger on something in your life. Say amen. You're sinning against your wife. You're sinning against your family. You're sinning against your employer. You're sinning against God or yourself. Hey, you need to knock it off. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Not sanctified. Walking different. And then we believe that there's a final sanctification. When you get to heaven, you will be sanctified, made brand new, like Christ in his image. Never again to sin. Mm. It's the spiritual maturity, a process that we go through. You know, you can tell somebody's level of spiritual maturity by how easily they're offended. The Holy Spirit is doing, will do a work in you, produce the fruits, and manifest the gifts in your life. And these things are that continual and progressive work by the Holy Spirit. How do you do this? It's simple. Open your Bible and read. If you don't know where to start, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hang out there. When you're done with that, ask me. I'll tell you where else to go. You can just keep reading from there. The Old Testament's a great thing to read. It's history stuff, but I want you to learn about Jesus. Start there. And then you can pray. Close your eyes and talk to God. Tell him what you're thankful for. Praise him for who he is. Thank him for Jesus. Thank him for what you know to thank him for. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything about prayer. You can learn that as you go. If you needed to know everything about something before you started doing it, we would never do anything in life, would we? that make sense? Just start somewhere. You can pray. You can serve others inside the church and outside of the church. You can be a blessing to them. Help build this place up. You can sing a song. There are so many different ways that you can get another drink of the Spirit to be filled. Some of you, honestly, you're here today and you need to take another drink. You need to yield your heart and your life to Him again. You don't need to be drunk with wine, but you need to be continually filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, I pray that you would just do a supernatural work in our lives. Lord, that we would be filled and continue to be filled by your Spirit. Lord, lead us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, lead us to be yielded to your Spirit. Let us be under the influence Lord, lead us to discover our gifts and to use them in the body of Christ here in this church and outside of this world to be a blessing to them. Lord, let us not be drunk on wine, but let us be filled with the Holy Spirit today. There are those of you here today, you'd say, Aaron, I, I, I hear what you're talking about. I want that in my life. I want that power. I want that, that life of being filled. But, I, but I'm not a Christ follower. I want to take that step of faith today. Great. We want to celebrate that with you. That step of faith begins with a prayer. It begins with acknowledging Jesus. See, Jesus is 
the most important thing before you can be filled because Jesus is the way. Why? Why Jesus? Well, see, you and I were born into this world. We were born in a sinful nature. And the sins that you and I have committed all of our lives are horribly offensive to a holy and perfect God. There's a gap that is between us and Him. But God in His love said, I'm going to make a way for you. Because, see, the payment or the penalty of our sins was eternal death. Not just death on this earth, but eternal death and separation from God. And he said, I'm going to send my son Jesus who will come to earth as a man. He will live a perfect life. He will die on a cross and be punished for sins he did not commit. He will intercede for you. Step in the way. Lay down his life over that gap between me and you so that you can cross and be restored into relationship with God. See, Jesus willingly gave up his life. He died, was brutally murdered on a cross and rose from the dead three days later. And when he did, he gave you and I the power to be forgiven, to become sons and daughters in a heavenly family. That is the way we are sanctified. We are cleaned up. It is through his gift. If you'd like to say yes to Jesus, to accept that free gift today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be counted in on that prayer, would you just shoot your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I, I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Put your hands down. Yeah. Look, I'm going to pray the prayer. and. You can just pray with me. You can pray out loud or you can pray in your heart either way you need to mean it. If you're watching live by Periscope, right now is your moment to change the very trajectory of your life. Don't miss it. If you're listening by podcast, you can join us in this prayer as well. Pray these words. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on that cross and rose from the dead three days later. And you did all this in a display of love for me. You did it so that I could be forgiven. You did it so I could spend eternity with God in heaven. Transform me. Let me live a life under the influence of your Holy Spirit. Be Lord, Jesus. Show me how to live this life for you and I'll do it every day. Thank you, Jesus.